This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Now, I said that we were going to chat briefly, and I mean briefly. We're not going to spend a long time on it today because I know it's been a lot of time has already been spent on it today. But we're going to talk about this LRT poll just briefly. You know what the poll is I'm talking about, I'm sure. If you've been listening to Bill earlier today, if you were listening to Scott Thompson earlier today, if you've been listening to the news today, if you've read the spec, if you've watched CHCH, you know about the poll. It was a poll that was commissioned by, I think, was it nine city councillors? They all put money in to call around and ask various people from various parts of the city what their thoughts were on the LRT. And I'm not going to get into all the minutia because there are a million different numbers. Like any poll, you can spin this any way you want. If you are on the pro side, you will find pro LRT, you will find fault with things you don't like, and you'll find areas of things you do like and vice versa. This was one of those polls that it was always, and we, I said this the day that we talked about this and we had Donna Skelly on, Councillor Donna Skelly. This is one of those polls that you just knew, unless it turned out to be 90% one way and 10% the other, you knew that it was all going to be about spin by the time the numbers came out, assuming that it was reasonably close, that it wasn't a complete wipeout. This was going to be a, an exercise in spin, and that is exactly what's happened. That is exactly what's happened. The people who are against the LRT are pointing to the fact that more people expressed wanting it stopped, not wanting it to happen. They are pointing out that the people who are more informed about the LRT, self-identified, are even more against it, and on and on and on. The folks who are for the LRT are pointing out that the numbers really are not that far apart. And if you look at the demographics of who was actually polled in this, that millennials, so the younger people who don't necessarily have landlines, were strongly underrepresented. There were not many of them spoken to. And presumably, presumably, they are the ones who support this most strongly because they're the ones who supposedly are going to be using it more. So you end up with, a poll that really takes us no further than where we were. We just have something new to argue about. That's that, Honestly, that's really where this poll has taken us because it was not a clear, overwhelming decision one way or another. But I want to leave all that because you've heard all that stuff today. So that's just the background for the few of you who hadn't kept up on this so far. Here's the interesting part to me. This is where I think there may be a lesson not for this time, it's too late for this time, but the next time, and we've said this a couple times because we've had Red Hill Creek, we've had the stadium, now we've got LRT. Somewhere along the way, there is going to be a next big project for Hamilton City Council. It's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to be. It may not be for 10 years. It might be 20 years. It might be two years. I don't know. But there's going to be another big project somewhere down the road for Hamilton City Council to chew on. And one of those projects that is going to be publicly divisive. The stadium was very divisive based on the location of the stadium. This LRT fight is certainly very divisive. We're going to have other things that come up in the future. Some of the, some ideas, some things that the city is going to do that might be a big project don't have any dispute about them. If we were going to spend $250 million 
on some new in a new piping in certain areas, new uh, pl- uh, pipes, water mains and stuff in areas where there has been flooding in the past. I don't think too many people are going to say, no, I really am opposed to that. I think most people would say, no, that's a necessary thing we have to do. But I'm talking about something that, for example, if we were going to spend 200 and what was the number? 250 million, something like that. Remember the number we talked about for the fixing first Ontario Centre Cops Coliseum up to its NHL standards. If we were going to drop close to $300 million on a new arena with city money, that's what I'm talking about. One of those things where you know there is going to be a dispute. You know there are going to be people with their heels dug in. Let me go to the poll for that because here's the thing that I find very illustrative from what was talked about. Overall, Of the people who were polled, the one question that really I find interesting is, should a referendum be held on the LRT? Now, as I say, it's too late for a referendum now. If we were to hold a referendum, deciding, voting that we're going to hold a referendum would delay this long enough that that is essentially, we are going to vote to kill this thing. We were too far along. You're either for it or against it now. No one's changing their minds. But back in the day, should there have been a referendum? They didn't ask it as should there have been. It's should there be. But I'm saying should there have been. 63% overall say yes, there should have been a referendum. Two-thirds of the people who were polled say there should be a referendum on this. The people in a controversial, divisive issue like this that is such big money and that is such a driver of what city council is doing and everything going on, the city should have, the folks in the city should have a say in this. Now, this is where it gets interesting to me because the critics of this poll, a group of them anyway, are saying millennials, the younger people, the 18 to 34, I think was the age group that they talked about, were underrepresented. And yet when you go to this, even among those, that group, even among the small number of millennials, so you can say overall their percentage for pro or con of LRT didn't really amount to much. But even among the millennials, 64% higher than the average say, yes, a referendum should be held. As you go up, 45 to 54-year-olds, Two-thirds, a referendum should be held. 55 to 64-year-olds, two-thirds, a referendum should be held. 65 plus, two-thirds, a referendum should be held. Males, 60%, a referendum should be held. Females, 65%, a referendum should be held. There has got to be a lesson in this somewhere for down the road. Because again, it's too late now. We are way past the point of being able to do a referendum at this point. But when you are going to have a project that is this big, this divisive, this controversial, this much involved with the heart and soul of the city, I've never understood, I have never understood why this was not taken to the people. This was because, because here's the thing. I know I've heard the answer. I've heard the argument. This is why we elect counselors. I've heard that before. And in a lot of cases, in a lot of, in almost every situation, yes, I understand that's why we elect counselors. But this is an unusually massive project that has far-reaching implications for the city. 
This is not about putting up a red light. This is not about increasing our taxes by 2%. This isn't about building a new $25 million community center. This is a $1 billion project that may or may not have long-term implications for this city. Well, in fact, will have long-term implications for this city, whether it's built and will have long-term implications for this city if it's not built. You can take your side on which one it's going to be. This is, to me, a unique kind of project on a scale that suggests, you know what, this would be, to me, the one time. And again, I'm talking about, I don't want referenda, referendi, referenda, whatever it is. I don't want referenda over and over and over and over again. I don't think when we go to fix some pipes or put in a new road or change some street signs or change the name of a building or those kind of things, those are not things you hold a referendum for. But a billion dollar project that is going right through the heart of the city, that is going to affect traffic flow, that is going to affect transportation, that is going to affect your tax dollars, that is going to affect business, that is going to affect development, that's going to affect all kinds of things. This is beyond your typical average council agenda item. And this is something to me that it would have made all kinds of sense in the world to make this a referendum item that people could have had a say in. And I know what some of the other thing people are going to say is, well, not everybody votes. And so it won't be a real representation. That is a complete and utter red herring. Because if you have a referendum and if you have the right to vote and you choose not to, you have chosen, you have voted by your absence. If you have the democratic right to vote and you choose not to cast a ballot, you have cast a ballot for all intents and purposes. Don't say that, because if you say otherwise, you're saying, well, you know, democracy isn't really democracy because it's only democracy if I choose that I'm going to participate. No, that's not democracy. This should have been something that months ago, months ago, a referendum was held upon months ago. And we would have been able to wipe our hands of this and be either going forward with it or stopping it. And, you know, it, the problem becomes a lot of people, well, there's one other thing that a lot of people say, well, we can't have leadership by populism. That's what democracy is. I'm sorry. The only time people complain about populism is when their particular candidate or point of view or issue lost then populism is a horrible thing. But when democracy works in your favor, oh, that's democracy and majority wins and on and on we go. This is the kind of situation, and I agree with the people in the poll. 63%, we should have a referendum. 32%, we should not have a referendum. 6% are undecided. So essentially, two-thirds of people are saying, let the people decide on this. Let the people decide who pay taxes, who own property, who pay rent, who live in this city, who are affected by this. Let the people decide. The only people who could possibly be concerned about a referendum on either side of the equation are those who believe that they will lose and therefore they don't want a referendum because democracy isn't so cool when you're going to lose. I'm sure that all the people who voted for Stephen Harper were not thrilled with democracy the last federal election when Justin Trudeau won. 
I'm sure all the people who voted for the Conservatives in the provincial election last time were not thrilled when Kathleen Wynne won. Democracy doesn't seem so fun when you come out on the losing side, but that's democracy. This is one of those cases where we should have had a referendum. It is too big, clearly, it is so big a project that it only makes sense that if we are going to have the discussions we're having, the fights we're having, the divisions we're having, this could have been done, solved, and moved on with, with a referendum. A binding referendum that says, if Hamilton votes for it, we do it. No more complaining, no more fighting, this is going ahead. And if the people vote against it, we're not taking it. It's done. It's gone. And we'll live with the consequences of that when that happens. And you, you don't hold a referendum. Here's the other thing. You don't hold a referendum like overnight. You give the two sides plenty of time to make their case. And then you have the referendum. And again, people are saying, well, look at Brexit. Okay, look at Brexit. The people who don't like Brexit are very upset that Brexit happened, using an example of a referendum. But that is democracy. The people came out and voted. If you want democracy to work, you have to vote. This is the part that I've never understood about people who complain about referenda or about things like this. You complain that, well, look, they didn't get their 50%. Whose fault is that? You had the right to go out and cast a ballot. You or the people who are like-minded with you chose not to go cast a ballot. You had other things to do. It wasn't that important to you until you lost, and now it's an outrage. It was an outrage when Rob Ford won. It was an outrage when Donald Trump won. It was an outrage when Brexit happened. All these things are outrages, but they could have, if you were against it, they could have been stopped if you had got your people who support your side of things to go out and vote. A referendum would have solved this. We would not have been having the fights that we're having right now. We should have learned that lesson from the stadium, but we didn't. We didn't. And now we're into another endless fight that will carry on and carry on and carry on and carry on and is carrying on and will never have a satisfactory answer now because we've reached the point that polls don't answer it, these kind of polls, debates don't answer it, politicians can't answer it, everyone is so dug in. We knew this poll was not going to create any kind of clarity. Everyone's dug in and we will just continue on this path of uncertainty and fighting ad nauseum. Six months ago or eight months ago, if we had done a referendum, we would either be moving ahead today with clarity on the LRT, or we would be not worrying about it and getting on with other business in this city, but we wouldn't be locked in perpetual paralysis by analysis and by fighting that we are right now, which is getting us absolutely nowhere. Either direction is getting us nowhere. All we're doing at this point, honestly, is wasting our time because no one is changing their opinion and yet we're still fighting about it and nobody wants to listen to the other side. Everyone who's on the other side is an idiot. This poll is useless. If you disagree with it, it's wonderful if you agree with it. Nobody is willing to buy the whole thing. If we'd just gone to the people months ago, we would have clarity right now. A lesson for next time, hopefully. Hopefully, a lesson for next time. 
You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. 25 years ago on Sunday, we in this community and everywhere else pretty much in Southern Ontario, but we right here, we're kind of in the epicenter of it. We were all gripped to the news, locked into the news, and somewhere between horrified and for some people terrified, because it was 25 years ago that Kristen French went missing this Sunday. 25 years. Can you believe that? It was not a good news story by any stretch. It ended sadly. It ended terribly. You all know the story. It was April 16, 1992. And the man who brought much of that news to you at that time was Dan McLean, former host, anchor of CHCH News for a long time, who joins us now. Dan, thanks for doing this tonight. Ah, happy to do so. It is, uh, I've got to tell you, it's great to hear your voice. It's like a time machine back to Hamilton's recent past. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm uh, uh, climbing up on 70, so it's, it's kind of an old sound. No, old. you know what, when I, when I, and I'm sure everyone else too, you hear your voice and it sounds like Hamilton. i got to tell you, it really does. Oh, it's nice of you to say. Thanks, man. Uh, are you as shocked as I was when I called you earlier today and I said it's been 25 years? Does it seem like it could not possibly be that long ago? Uh, no, it doesn't seem at all possible that it could have been that long ago because I, I remember practically every detail of that, that story and its ongoing, uh, the ongoing investigation with the, with the task force with uh, 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 Bevan was his name. I yeah, guess. Vince Bevan, that's right. Vince yeah. Bevan, yeah. Uh, and the, the center where they were set up in Grimsby and uh, dead cold winter when we were there doing the the uh, the search and uh, all of that kind of stuff for the the gold colored uh, Camaro or whatever it was it it wasn't it, it was a gold colored car that they were looking for but it wasn't a Camaro but uh, yeah it was a it was a and, and as you suggest it doesn't seem like it could possibly be that long ago well and it was so unique and again not in a good way but this for, I mean I, I'm sure everybody remembers at least ninety percent of people listening are going to remember but this of course followed the Leslie Mahaffey abduction so by the time this happens now and you would remember this because you were doing the news every night everybody in this area was on edge and I don't remember another time when it's been like that when literally people were scared to let their kids go out of the house yeah terrifying time and and you know the the death of Kristen French uh, and Leslie Mahaffey and, and let's not forget uh, Tammy Lynn Hamolka as well uh, who was uh, Carla's sister who was uh, of course yeah yeah although we didn't well, I, we didn't really know that at the time that this was happening that that sort of popped up afterwards we realized what had happened there but still you I mean do you do you recall the feeling around the city then when you were reporting, when you were doing the news, do you recall the comments you were getting from people? And, and I can't believe, to be honest, as it ties into that, not that it was really the issue at the moment, but I can't believe that probably, honestly, that CHH probably had ever had larger audiences than then because this was just gripping everybody in the area. Yeah. Well, part of the reason for that was our reporter in Niagara Falls, Lorraine Sabrin, who covered the the story right from the very beginning and and right through the trial phase and and all of the uh everything that happened in between and she became a, a very uh, good friend uh with the family and uh and the reason was because they trusted her because they they trusted her to reveal uh details uh of of Kristen's life that uh weren't going to be, you know, tainted in any way, something that newscasts are regularly pillared for and should be. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, 
the the thought of, of you know a fourteen or fifteen year old girl going out uh, to go to the store, or go to a movie or whatever. Uh, it was a thought that if they were going to go to the movies, they're going to go with their parents. Uh, you know, if they're going down to the store, dad's going to drive her. You know, they, they just when this whole thing was going on, and we had uh, that, and there was another one in Toronto as well uh, that was was going on, and, and it was just a, a, a terrible time, to say the least. When I was getting ready to do this tonight, I went online, and I I was I almost forgot, um, but you hosted. At that time, a 90-minute special called, I think it was called The Abduction of Kristen French. And it was really a very unprecedented kind of thing. I don't remember that it has that it had ever happened before to do something like that, where the police and the television station from the town had ever cooperated in a way like this to try and find the person who was behind it. And I don't know that I've ever seen it since. No, it was only run the once. Uh, but I mean I- anywhere, for any kind of case in any kind of city. I can't remember another one like this. Uh, it was it was the first, and as far as I know, the only because I haven't seen another one like it either. But we brought in uh, members of the uh, the Green Task Force. Uh, we brought in local police. We brought in RCMP, and we also brought in a profiler from the FBI from uh, New York, uh, and we brought him in by phone and, and video from a television station in, in Buffalo, I think it was, where we finally got him hooked up. But uh, the purpose was to get as much peripheral information as we possibly could out to the public so the public would know what the police were looking for not who necessarily but there were certain things that were said during the course of that show that uh, tweaked an awful lot of input from an awful lot of people who thought they had seen something or might have seen something or uh, everybody I think was thinking that no tip is too small and they they received hundreds of, of tips most of them really didn't apply, but some of them did. And uh, it was, we even brought in a, a gold-colored car, I think, mm. Camaro, yep. Yep. that we had in the background as part of the set. And we had uh, Vince Bevan and, and uh, one of the local RCMP guys, I believe it was, that uh, came on and talked about the car that they were looking for. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a tough show to do. Uh, it was a tough show to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's why I brought it up today. I mean, it was, it, some people are going to say, well, you're just doing it to mention the name. Well, it, it is something everybody remembers, but there have been, and Dan, you were here for most of them. There have been many very large, very newsworthy, very shocking news stories that have happened in this area. Even since then, we had the Plastimate fire, which was huge. We had the, 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 the hit on Johnny Papalia in downtown Hamilton right. since then. Nothing that I remember since I've been in Hamilton, and I've been here since 1989, nothing that I have ever known in Hamilton has inspired the kind of visceral reaction that still exists. If you mention Kristen French or Mahaffey's name now, you get the same kind of visceral reaction. It's never, ever changed. And I, I, I kind of understand why. I mean, these are two young girls who were killed completely unnecessarily, completely stupidly. But yet, I mean, it's still, it seems like it is It is something unique in Hamilton News that nothing has ever matched it, really, as long as I've been here. Uh, nothing could match it as far as my term there either. Um, it was it was a huge story. It was a, a huge court case. Uh, the investigation, everything about this 
this uh, scenario was huge. Uh, the number of officers that were assigned to the case, probably the most that have been assigned to anything ever <laughs> in mm. Hamilton. And, uh, yeah, it was it was quite... Uh, I, I, it, it's hard to describe because we at Channel 11 uh, got very, very close to this story. And as you know, they, they say that news, you, you can't make it personal. But there are some stories that come along that you can't help but get personal with. And, mm. and, and they bother you. You know, I, I still think of of uh, the circumstances surrounding Kristen's death and, and Leslie's. Uh, every now and then I'll, I'll be, you know, reading about something and say, oh, that reminds me of, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it all comes flashing back. It's, it's, it's truly amazing. You're not obviously anchoring right now, but you still watch the news. You still keep up with the news. Have you ever thought about how different things would be with social media, with Twitter, with Facebook, with all these things, how different this story would play out if it was happening today? Because I got to believe it would be, it would look very, very different from what happened then. Yeah, it would be very different. And and, uh, television probably wouldn't play as big a role in it as it did then. Uh, A lot has changed in 25 years. And uh, certainly television news is one of those things that's going the way of AM radio. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a big budget item. It's difficult for smaller stations to, to do and to do well. Um, we like to believe that AM radio is still very strong, Dan. <laughs> well, yeah, the only, the only problem with AM radio yeah. is, is there aren't very many around that are successful anymore. Yeah, uh, no, I know exactly few, what you mean. There are a few. I know what you mean. But even FM stations now, you know, if they're, if they're not making money, their their licenses are going uh, the way of the dodo bird. You know, they're they're just not being supported. But one of the things that strikes me right off the bat with this, when I especially with social media, when if I recall correctly from this story, there were a number of witnesses. The reason you had the gold colored car is because there were some people who saw something that happened with a gold colored car. They thought it was a Camaro. Yeah. If that happened today. Almost certainly somebody has a phone picture or a phone video of this happening. Someone gets something on their phone, and it's an entirely different story. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm not sure that is the case. I would like to think that it is, that you know, all the street cameras and all the people with phones uh, that have cameras uh, in them uh, would find something. But you know, we see that on television all the time in the various uh, detective shows and, and uh, sort of believe that that's the case. Uh, and, and the forensics science shows and things of that case, that sort. But whether or not that would indeed happen, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, things things that happen in the the dead of night uh, mm. oftentimes do go unnoticed. Although Kristen was taken during the day, uh, somebody might have might have seen something. Had they had a phone, uh, or had there been a skirmish of some sort, or some kind of a, uh, a, a fight? Uh, you know, Something that drew their attention. Yeah, anything that would draw attention. You know, somebody would probably snap a picture or two off, but um, apparently none of that happened. Yeah, you, you developed. Now you mentioned Lawrence Aberin developed a friendship. You you developed a bit of a relationship over the years with the families too. Did you not? Yeah, a little bit. Not not certainly anywhere uh, near as much as Loran, but uh, through the uh, through the television program, uh, we did get to know them. But again, a little better than perhaps uh, we should have to try to stay impartial and, and not get personally involved. As I said earlier, it's it's very difficult with a story like this and, and doing a show like we did to not get personally involved. It was 
you know, it got very close. Just before I let you go, Dan, do, do you think that something like this could happen again? And I don't mean an abduction and a completely senseless murder because we know that evil is out there and those kind of things. I'm talking about the the atmosphere around it, the environment, the the way this all played out, the fear in a community. It, could that happen again? You know what, I, I would like to think not, but uh, yeah, I, I think it will happen again. Maybe not to the same degree, and, and maybe it, it, it'll be covered differently in circumstances will probably be different, but something very similar could and probably does happen on a daily basis somewhere in North America. Uh, yeah, I, my thinking is that it could happen again. Dan McLean, former anchor of CHCH, I promise next time we have you on, it'll be for something way more upbeat. <laughs> but it's great to hear from you. It's been a while. Appreciate having you on. Yeah, well, listen, thanks for thanks for thinking of me. And uh, yeah, I... Uh, I'm still kind of flabbergasted about the 25-year. It, it really is. It really is yeah. stunning. It's, uh, but you know what? We uh, we all time moves along for all of us apparently. So, yeah, Dan, as you, as you get older, it moves faster. <laughs> <laughs> Dan McLean, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you very much. Um, one of the, if you can find a, a scintilla of a positive out of this, because this story, hard as you may try. It's really hard to find anything in this story 25 years later that could even remotely be categorized as a slight positive that comes out of a story like this. It really is. I mean, you, you, it, it almost becomes smarmy to suggest that there are positives. But if there was one thing that maybe could qualify somehow, it's that if you go and look online now, you can find the Kristen French Advocacy Center in St. Catharines, which is a place where, as I understand it now, people who have been abused can go and in a unique place away from, separate from police or other or lawyers or whatever, that they can give statements in a sort of a safe place, kids especially, can talk to somebody and, and give their statement and it's it's not as scary as if they were somewhere else. So there is something, at least Kristen French's name is attached to something positive. Again, still doesn't make the story positive in any way. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible reminder. I acknowledge it's a horrible reminder of 25 years, but boy, 25, to think that it has been 25 years is, is startling, especially because, and I'm not suggesting you do this, but it will happen to you over the years. If, Someone mentions the name Kristen French or Leslie Mahaffey, or if you mention it, I guarantee you that instantly anybody, anybody who was alive around that time knows everything about that story. This is one of the very, very few news stories in this area that is absolutely as visceral today for most people as it was back then. And I know there are reasons for that, but it's still shocking that 25 years later, we still remember so many of the details and it seems so fresh for so many people. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. You may have noticed that the Toronto Maple Leafs are playing these days. Um, You may have noticed because there is immense interest, intense media coverage, full-on excitement because, boy, oh boy, it has been a long time. It has been a long time since 
Leaf fans were feeling this good about their team, feeling this optimistic about the future, feeling this excited about a group of players. It's just been so long that everybody who's a Leaf fan is now back out of the closet and fully excited about this. Well, nobody better to chat about the Toronto Maple Leafs these days than Mr. Toronto Maple Leaf himself, the most popular living Toronto Maple Leaf by a mile. That would be Johnny Bauer. Mr. Bauer, how are you this evening? Not too bad. Uh, my wife is one of the feathers. I'm babysitting, but uh, <laughs> I'm holding on to my age. Yeah. These these have to be pretty good days to be considered Mr. Toronto Maple Leaf. This is a good time well, to be affiliated with that very, team. Very, it's very, very nice to hear something like that. You've had the fans, of course. I was at the game the other night, and believe me, uh, the fans, it just went wild. My ears are so sore today, I can't even hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was cheering just as well, and and the other, the other day when uh, Toronto won the game here, my wife and myself were watching on TV, and and then I said, "Oh, Nancy, something's going to happen here in the final game." And so, of course, Toronto scored the one goal, and oh my God, I'm telling you, I hit, I thought I hit the ceiling. Now, so you think I won the Stanley Cup? Are are really really enjoyed it. Are three consecutive overtime games good for the heart? Well, for my, I got a weak heart anyway, so it's not too good for mine, but I got to be careful. <laughs> you know, it's funny you said you were at the game because, I mean, everybody loves to see you there, but you really have been, I think, the most active, probably, alumni member from the Maple Leafs over the last number of years. Why do you do that? Why, why do you put in so much time for the Maple Leafs? Well, I, I was always a Maple Leaf, and they were so good to me when I got to Toronto. And that, like, you know, they can talk all they want about them, Mr. Ballard and all the rest of them, but I got along good with them, and it cost you nothing for a smile, and, <laughs> and I was, that smile went a long ways with me. And uh, But the, the fans, I just I can't just can't, can't get enough of it by watching them and that. And uh, I used to go to, to the games with my wife, but she can't now, but at one time there, I used to sit beside her. She had more, you know, there's Gordy Howe and his elbows there. And every time the goalie would, uh, <laughs> every time he'd make a, sh- a shot like that, my el- elbows would uh, reflex, <laughs> and she didn't like it too much. <laughs> is it is it easier or harder to watch the game as a fan sitting in the stands than it was to be playing it in the past? It was, yeah. Is is it harder I'd to watch? Be playing. Y- yeah. I would, I would rather be playing. Yeah, I'd be right in it. And, I'm still in it in a way, but not not as great as I like to be. You know? <laughs> but I mean, I'm still there, and uh, I'll just have to take it with me when I go. <laughs> Are you ever surprised, though? Because it's been a few years since you played for the Leafs. I think it's 46 years now since your last game. Are you ever surprised when people who weren't even old enough to be born when you played your last game well, are really excited to come up and talk to you? Oh yeah, they. I, I never say no to anybody. Honest to God, God strike me dead. I never say that to nobody. If they want a autograph or something like that, I'd be happy to stop in that. And and and, and I love t- talking to people, and, and they're my fans too. And some are probably Montreal fans. Once in a while, they ask, "Are you a Toronto fan or Montreal fan?" <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, I, I I just love people, and uh, you know. And that's, that's the way it goes. That's the way I was brought up. What about the players? I, I'm assuming that you have had a chance this year and last year to, to chat with the players who were on the team. What, what, do they ask questions about what life was like as a player back in the day? Well, sometimes they do, like Bobby Bond and and, uh, and, and my, my defenseman, particularly when I bump into him in that league. And, uh, 
they talk about oh God, what you know, about five years or seven. No, uh, what was it? Fifty years? Fifty years ago, last yeah. time we won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, we talk about it and uh, just to get his opinion on what's going to happen and uh, what do you think of the team? We're talking to each other. I wonder who they're going to is going to lose and all that. And, he wants to bet me, but it, uh, I don't want to take the money from him. He was too good of a hockey blocker for me. You know, one of the things that's really interesting, uh, the reason I got in touch with you today was because you were going to, your wife has not been feeling well today, but you were going to be in Hamilton today to meet with Harry Howell. Harry, oh, God, and yeah. I you, met him once before, and yeah. he said he was just thrilled. And I was really thrilled to see him, too. And, and, and I, I, I just couldn't go. I, I, it's either go or I, if something happens that... To her, I never. Of course, you know I couldn't do that. I'd have to get somebody in here, but I didn't have the time in that. But but uh, I'll do it again. I'll, I'll, she's getting a little bit better, and, and uh, once she gets better, and uh, the chap that came along and got me. I mean, if he wants me to go to uh, to with him again sometime, if I'm free, I will be happy to go. But do all the alumni do this? Because I mean, you you grew up playing as a as a younger man. Yeah. And you had wars with these people. You went to war, basically, against Harry Howell. He was on the other team. And yeah. now, you know, you come and you try to cheer him up. I have war against all of them, even against my own team. <laughs> <laughs> but do all the alumni do this? A lot of them do, yeah. But I'm not too familiar with the, what, the, what the others do. But they don't. a lot of them don't want to bother anybody. They, somebody phones and they want an interview, and I said, I never hang up and uh, mm. I just say, look, I got about ten minutes, and that's all, and and uh, I'll do the best I can for you, and and because you guys got a job to do too, and uh, you know, so I just keep on saying, yeah, I can't say no. <laughs> I was married sixty-seven years. I kept saying yes, and I'm still saying yes. <laughs> Johnny, when you were winning a Stanley Cup back in 1967, I mean, it's been a long time now, and for someone like me, because I was born, I hate to say this, I was born a few months after you guys won the Stanley Cup. I've not been alive to see the Leafs win a Stanley Cup. Uh Were things as crazy when you guys won the Stanley Cup as we look in Toronto now and we see all the excitement? Is it similar? Can you see response in the city that is similar? Well, it's a tough question for me to ask you. The only thing I know is that uh, whoever I talk to a lot think think that we you know share we time uh, we, we didn't play that well at times we you know hockey is a funny game as you know and it, and uh, you got to make deals and when you do we make mistakes and when there's mistakes you treat good players and they come back and they and they strap you know they strap you to <laughs> to nowhere and then you realize you made a mistake and but anyway yeah that's hockey for you and like. What was it? The Yogi Berra used to say, it's never over till it's over. Right. You know? Yep. Yeah, stuff like that. But you could never have expected back in 1967 that we'd still be talking about that cup championship because there hadn't been one since. No, I, uh, oh, no, I, we, I, we talk about it a lot. I mean, a lot of old people, they, a lot of fellas in wheelchairs, I go wrong, this is sometime, and, and I remember one guy there, I went to say, and he went, <laughs> and he went in the wheelchair, and he he had a good grip in his hand, and he says, Mr. Bauer, he says, when are the Toronto Maple Leafs going to win the Stanley Cup? And I didn't know what to say for a while, and I said, well, you got to give him time. But I took him <laughs> off, off the stool. <laughs> I was, I'm telling you, eight feet, not eight feet, but eight inches high off where he was sitting. 
And I said, you know, and, and, and he says, oh, my God. He says, uh, I said, listen, next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I just want to keep you for another couple of minutes, but let me just ask you a couple of quick questions because yeah. of things that I've always wanted to ask. There is a famous film clip that I, I know you've seen it. You were there. You were in it. Uh, that has been shown on Hockey Night in Canada a million times. You're lying on your stomach. It's a black and white image. You're, and someone on the other team is lying across your back, and you stop a shot with your face, and there's a rebound, and then you stopped another shot with your face. How often did stuff like that happen back in the day when you weren't wearing a mask? Was that a regular occurrence? Well, hey, uh, we, being a goaltender, we have nobody behind us except, <laughs> except the goalposts. And, I mean, if you let go pucks like that go, and you've got a coach like Mr. Inlack, tough guy, and you got to stop everything or else I'll be back in Cleveland uh, <laughs> in the American Hockey League. But, uh no, I, I go for I don't I, I go for every shot I, it's, it's at the net, and I, I just want to don't I just don't want it in, and uh, I hate that red light. If anybody talks to me about red numbers, I say don't I don't like red. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do you have any idea how many stitches you had in your face over yeah. your career? Yeah, I had uh, close to two hundred. Wow. Yeah, and they all gone pretty well, and I had some work done to my face, hair, and cheeks, and. Trouble is, I got lost all my teeth pretty well, and they keep bouncing around. I don't know if you can understand me or not, but they a little loose, and I go keep going to my dentist, and there's not much 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 of a jaw I got left. He says, "I said, oh boy," <laughs> so my speech is gone. My wife says, "Good, you don't have to talk." <laughs> it is uh, one more question I want to ask you, and I just read this. I didn't even know this after all these years. I did not realize, and tell me if this is true, that your last name originally was not Bauer. No, my last name. When I was overseas, when I went overseas, I came back. There was a divorce in the family, and then we had five girls in the family. And then my dad, my dad got they, they got a divorce, eh? And I didn't know that till I got there. And uh, and and so they made the decision. I when we had a talk, they wanted to do it. And this is uh, maybe if you play, play pro hockey, uh, Johnny, she, they say, you know, you're better off to get an easy name to pronounce. I said, there's nothing wrong with Kifkin. I said, what's the matter with you girls, you know? And they said, well, okay, it's up to you, but we like to make that name, make, make our name, change the name. And I says, well, well, it's okay. if you We all voted, and of course, the votes were against me anyway. So I said, okay, you go ahead and do what you want to do, and if you want to change it, you go ahead. I don't care. But, uh, yeah, no, there was a divorce in the family. I don't talk too much about it because... It wasn't very pleasant when I got back. Sure. No, you know what? It's it's a it's a wonderful story that it just it's I never heard it before. I never yeah, knew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen. Who um will you be at the game tomorrow night? I plan on going there, but it depends on on how nasty it's feeling like. You know. Well. See, I, I got to be beside her. I can't unless I can get that lady next door. But uh, but I'm not too sure with her. But if I might go. I may not. And if I don't, well. But you know, when I went to the game, my ears are so sore. <laughs> in the morning, I got up, hands over, just hollering and cheering, and oh my God! And I did yeah, I believe myself too because I was doing the same thing. Uh, John. Johnny Bauer, uh, real treat to talk to you today. Thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, and good luck tomorrow with your team. Yes, well, thank you very, very, very much. I wish them all the best. Hey, those really young kids, I can I, I can kiss them all. They're playing so well, considering, and, and, and they're doing a great job in coaching. There's no doubt about that. And he's good to I talk to him, and he's good to the uh, kids and all that, and uh, gives them a lot of courage and uh, 
He's got the goaltender, too. He comes up with the big saves, and when they pick him up the big saves, boy, that's what they wanted because that gives them a lot of confidence. And Florida, a lot of confidence to keep in, to keep in the game and what the score is. So, Well, you know a little bit about that. So yeah. that's uh, Johnny Bauer. Really appreciate the time today. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah. That's, uh, wow, what a treat. That is uh, the, the greatest living Toronto Maple Leaf. Certainly in the conversation. I, I, you can p- maybe put Frank Mahovlich in there. You could maybe put um, Daryl Sittler in there. Matt Sundin. Maybe Matt Sundin, although I think time will help with that. But yeah, Johnny Bauer, who... Um, no, he, he's the greatest living Maple Leaf because he's always been there. Because he retired, like, how, lo- how long ago did he retire? Johnny Bauer? Yes. His last game, he retired... Now, this is an interesting thing that I found out today. I mean, there's a lot of stuff when you're about to talk to someone, you look things up. Johnny Bauer was, when he retired, the second oldest player ever to play in the NHL. Gordy Howe, actually, when he retired, he was the oldest. He retired when he was 45 years old. Gordy Howe then went on to play till he was 51, 52. 102. And another person came along and has passed Johnny Bauer as being older, and that would be Chris Chelios. And another one is going to. Another one is going to, which is Jeremy Jagger. But right now, Johnny Bauer was the third oldest player to play in the NHL. And he retired when he was 45 years old, which is when you consider that a goalie, especially back then, remember how goalies played back then. It was reflexes. It wasn't just big, big bodies that were blocking shots by being in position. You had to have reflexes. And 45 was ancient. But but he retired late, what was it, early 70s, I believe? Yep. So... 1970, he, I think. 1970. So he retired... 20 years before I was even born. Or and, 71, yeah. Yep. And I still, growing up as a Leafs fan, knew exactly who Johnny Bauer was. Everybody and, does, and I don't understand that. That, to me, is one of the startling things about this, because he has, and well, maybe it shouldn't be startling. He has made himself, by, with what he said, where he never says no to an autograph, he'll talk to anybody, he has made himself beloved. It but, helps that he won. And he was it on a does, champion, but, but he has made himself that by being available to fans. That's what people want. But when you actually like, when when you look at some of the goaltenders that the Leafs have had in their history, the when you look at Turk Broda or Terry Sawchuk, uh, George Hainsworth, they've had truly great goaltenders to even, go with Johnny Bauer, who who is a truly great goaltender. Well, look more recently, even uh, Curtis Joseph, Ed Belfour. Like, yeah, you're talking Felix Potvin. They, Felix Potvin. They've you're talking had about good goalies, really, really good goalies, and some of them you could even argue maybe were better goalies in. In their era than than Bauer was, but he has surpassed them all because he's stuck around and and because, like you said, he's he's always there. He's always so personable. Like you've never met a Leafs fan who has had the pleasure of seeing Johnny Bauer who didn't speak the who world said, of him. Oh yeah, what a disappointment that was. I've, you will never hear someone never. say that, and that's why I say, and, and hopefully, hopefully. It is many, 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 many years. I think he's either 91 or 92 now. Hopefully we're talking years and years and years down the road. But when the day comes that Johnny Bauer is no longer with us, that will be, I really believe that in Toronto will be the Toronto equivalent of the Maurice Richard funeral. Remember when, how John, Montreal John was? Is, is, John Beliveau would be another one because he is a beloved figure as a Leaf goalie. But there's a lot of people who were never alive to see him play. Or to see him with the Maple Leafs. So it's not even just about that. It's about the fact that he is just a really good guy. He is a guy who, I would bet you that if you were to go to the game tomorrow, if he makes it there, if his wife is feeling better, and if you were to follow him around, 
I bet you that he would shake a thousand hands, take a thousand pictures, sign 500 autographs, probably doesn't get to see a whole lot of the game because he is just constantly being approached by people and saying yes to everybody. He, remember what he said just there? I, I, I can't say no. I hate to say no. I don't say no. That's, that's what people want from their athletes, especially the retired ones. If you're playing, I still think you should be signing autographs and taking pictures, especially with kids. But I understand that you also have planes to catch and you have things to do. You also have a job. I get that. But if you're retired as an athlete, and he didn't even have, he didn't play in the era where you retired and you had a fortune in the bank so you could do nothing. If you're a current athlete, there are a lot of current athletes that could take a great lesson from Johnny Bauer. You've got a mint tucked away in your bank account. You can do nothing for the rest of your life. To take the time that he does and be available like that, that to me, that is the example of what you, what you honestly should expect from people. What, what's that line from the Bible, to whom much is given, much is required? If you have made a fortune and gotten fame and sponsorships and endorsements and a fantastic life out of the wallets and the passion of fans, to me, you owe, and I, you know, some people say, I don't owe anyone. Yes, you owe the fans something in return later on when you're retired and you have time to pay it back. And nobody, nobody does it better than Johnny Bauer but, does. But let's just say, like, I agree with you that that you do owe the fans a little something. Uh, I don't. We shouldn't diminish Johnny Bauer in any way by saying that he has gone so far and above, oh, no. above and beyond what Absolutely. any any athlete should be expected to do. Absolutely. And, I don't. Ex- I, yeah. I don't. Listen. I don't expect that everyone is going to be doing exactly what Johnny Bauer is doing. But I'm saying, if you are your typical athlete, Luke, and you do half or a quarter, you're still doing a lot. You're still doing holding up your end of the bargain. Absolutely. The, he is the the pinnacle of what you can do as a. He's 91 or 92 years old, and as I say, he was going to be coming to Hamilton today because Harry Howell, as everybody knows, Harry is uh, dealing with Alzheimer's, and so a number of former players. Dean Prentice was one of them, and Pete um, Conacher was another one today. Dick Duff was supposed to come, but he's not. They do this regularly. They come and sit down and have a chat and have a coffee with Harry. And I got to tell you, I was there today when these guys walked in. Johnny couldn't make it. But Harry, his face just lights up, and he gets chatting, and he gets engaged. And it is amazing to see that with other players, with retired players, with colleagues, they can do this. Now imagine what you can do for a fan if... Again, if, if a retired player, not even Johnny Bauer, someone who retired a couple years ago goes in, and they, a lot of them do, go into a kid's hospital or something and the impact they can have. So I, I look at him and I say, that guy should be the lesson and the model for every other athlete. You may not be able to do it in full while you're still playing, but after you're done, look at what he's doing. That's, that's the guy you should be modeling yourself after. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.